Clearshore presents Why the Navy Needs Disruption Now, Part 2 of 2, by Steve Blank. July 29, 2016, at steveblank.com. The future is here, it's just distributed unevenly. Silicon Valley view of tech adoption. The threat is here, it's just distributed unevenly. A2AD and the aircraft carrier. This is the second of a two-part posting following my stay on the aircraft carrier USS Carl Vinson. Part 1 talked about what I saw and learned, the layout of the carrier, how the aircrew operates, and how the carrier functions in context of the other ships around it, the strike group. But the biggest learning was the realization that disruption is not just happening to companies, it's also happening to the Navy, and that the lean innovation tools we've built to deal with disruption and create continuous innovations for large commercial organizations were equally relevant here. This post offers a few days' worth of thinking about what I saw. The threat is here. It's just distributed unevenly. A2AD and the aircraft carrier. Both of the following statements are true. The aircraft carrier is viable for another 30 years. The aircraft carrier is obsolete. Well-defended targets. Think of an aircraft carrier as an $11 billion portable Air Force base manned by 5,000 people delivering 44 F-A-18 strike fighters anywhere in the world. The primary roles of the 44 F-18 strike fighters that form the core of the carrier's air wing is to control the air and drop bombs on enemy targets. For targets over uncontested airspace, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Somalia, Yemen, Libya, etc., that's pretty easy. The problem is that first world countries have developed formidable surface-to-air missiles. The Russian S-300 and S-400 and the Chinese HQ-9, which have become extremely effective at shooting down aircraft. And they have been selling these systems to other countries, Iran, Syria, Egypt, etc. While the role of an aircraft carrier's EA-18G growlers is to jam and confuse the radar of these missiles, the sophistication and range of these surface-to-air missiles have been evolving faster than the jamming countermeasures of the EA-18G growlers and the cyber hacks to shut the radars down. This means that the odds of a carrier-based F-A-18 strike fighter successfully reaching a target defended by these modern surface-to-air missiles is diminishing yearly. Unless the U.S. military can take these air defense systems out with drones, cruise missiles, or cyber attack, brave and skilled pilots may not be enough. Given the F-A-18s are manned aircraft versus drones, high losses of pilots may be politically unacceptable. Vulnerable Carriers If you want to kill a carrier, first you must find it and then you have to track it. In World War II, knowing where the enemy fleet was located was a big and critical question. Today, photo-imaging satellites, satellites that track electronic emissions, radio, radar, etc., and satellites with synthetic aperture radar that can see through clouds and at night are able to pinpoint the strike group and carrier 24-7. In the 20th century, only the Soviet Union had this capability. Today, China can do this in the Pacific Ocean, and to a limited extent, Iran has this capability in the Persian Gulf. 
Soon there will be enough commercial satellite coverage of the Earth using the same sensors that virtually everyone able to pay for the data will be able to track the ships. During the Cold War, the primary threat to carriers was from the air, from strike fighters dropping bombs or torpedoes, or from cruise missiles launched from ships and planes. While the Soviets had attacked submarines, our anti-submarine warfare ASW, capabilities, along with very noisy Soviet subs pre-Walker spy ring, made subs a secondary threat to the carriers. In the 20th century, the war plan for a carrier strike group used its fighter and attack aircraft and Tomahawk cruise missiles launched from the cruisers to destroy enemy radar, surface-to-air missiles, aircraft, and communications, including satellite downlinks. As those threats are eliminated, the carrier strike can move closer to land without fear of attack. This allowed the attack aircraft to loiter longer over targets or extend their reach over enemy territory. Carriers were designed to be most effective launching a high number of sorties, number of flights, from about 225 miles from the target. For example, we can cruise offshore of potential adversaries, Iraq and Syria, who can't get to our carriers. Carriers can stand off further or can reach further inland, but they have to launch F-18s as refueling tankers to extend the mission range. For example, missions to Afghanistan are six to eight hours versus normal mission times of two to three hours. In the 21st century, carrier strike groups are confronting better equipped adversaries, and today carriers face multiple threats before they can launch an initial strike. These threats include much quieter submarines, long-range sea-skimming cruise missiles, and in the Pacific, a potential disruptive game-changer, ballistic missiles armed with non-nuclear maneuverable warheads that can hit a carrier deck as it maneuvers its speed, DF-21D and the longer-range DF-26. In the Persian Gulf, the carriers face another threat, fast inshore attack craft, FIAC, and speedboats with anti-ship cruise missiles that can be launched from shore. The sum of all these threats to the carrier-based aircraft and the carriers themselves are called anti-access area denial, A2AD, capabilities. Eventually, the cost and probability of defending the carrier as a manned aircraft platform becomes untenable in highly defended A2AD environments like the Western Pacific or the Persian Gulf. This seems to be exactly the problem the manned bomber folks are facing in multiple regions. But if not a carrier, what will they use to project power? While the carrier might become obsolete, the mission certainly has not. So how does or should the Navy solve these problems? Three Horizons of Innovation One useful way to think about innovation in the face of increasing disruption or competition is called the Three Horizons of Innovation. It suggests that an organization should think about innovation across three categories called horizons. Horizon 1 activities support executing the existing mission with ever-increasing efficiency. Horizon 2 is focused on extending the core mission, and Horizon 3 is focused on searching for and creating brand new missions. Horizon 1 is the Navy's core mission. Here the Navy executes against a set of known mission requirements known beneficiaries, known ships and planes, known adversaries, deployment, supply chain, etc. 
It uses existing capabilities and has comparatively low risk to get the next improvement out the door. In a well-run organization like the Navy, innovation and improvement occurs continuously in Horizon 1. Branches of the Navy innovate on new equipment, new tactics, new procurement processes, more sorties on newer carriers, etc. As fighter pilots want more capable manned aircraft and carrier captains want better carriers, it's not a surprise that Horizon 1 innovations are upgrades. The next generation of carriers, Ford class. The next generation of Navy aircraft, the F-35C. As a failure here can impact the Navy's current mission, Horizon 1 uses traditional product management tools to minimize risk and assure execution. And yes, like any complex project, they still manage to be over budget and miss their delivery schedule. Because failure here is unacceptable, Navy Horizon 1 programs and people are managed by building repeatable and scalable processes, procedures, incentives, and promotions to execute and the mission. In Horizon 2, the Navy extends its core mission. Here it looks for new opportunities within its existing mission, trying new technology on the same platform, using the same technology with new missions, etc. Horizon 2 uses mostly existing capabilities, the carrier as an aircraft platform, aircraft to deliver munitions, and has moderate risk in building or securing new capabilities to get the product out the door. An example of potential Naval Horizon 2 innovations is unmanned drones flying off carriers to do the job fighter pilots hate, such as serving as airborne tankers. Who wants to fly a gas can around for six hours? And ISR, Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance. Another tedious mission flying around for hours that could be better solved with a drone downlinking ISR data for processing onboard a ship. However, getting the tanker and ISR functions onto drones only delays the inevitable shift to drones for strike and then for fighters. The problem of the strike fighters increasing difficulty in penetrating heavily defended targets isn't going to get better with the new F-35C, the replacement for the F-818. In fact, it will get worse. Regardless of the bravery and skill of the pilots, they will face air defense systems evolving at a faster rate than the defensive systems on the aircraft. It's not at all clear in a low-intensity conflict, think Bosnia or Syria, that civilian leadership will want to risk captured or killed pilots and losing planes like the F-35C that cost several hundred million dollars each. Management in Horizon 2 works by pattern recognition and experimentation inside the current mission model. Ironically, institutional inertia keeps the Navy from deploying unmanned assets on carriers. In a perfect world, drones in carrier tanker and ISR roles should have been deployed at the beginning of this decade, and by now, experience with them on a carrier deck could have led to, first, anonymous wingmen and, eventually, autonomous missions. Instead, the system appears to have fallen into the real men fly planes and command air wings and get promoted by others who do mindset. The Navy does not lack drone demos and prototypes, but it has failed to deploy Horizon 2 innovations with speed and urgency. Failure to act aggressively here will impact the Navy's ability to carry out its mission of sea control and power projection. The Hudson Institute report on the future of the carrier is worth a read, and a RAND report on the same topic comes out in October.
If you think Horizon 2 innovation is hard in the Navy, wait till you get to Horizon 3. This is where disruption happens. It's how the aircraft carrier disrupted the battleship, how nuclear-powered ballistic missile submarines changed the nature of strategic deterrence, and how the DF-21 and 26 and artificial islands in the South China Sea changed decades of assumptions. And it's why, in most organizations, innovation dies. For the Navy, a Horizon 3 conversation would not be about better carriers and aircraft. Instead, it would focus on the core reasons the Navy deploys a carrier strike group. To show the flag for deterrence, or to control part of the sea to protect shipping, or to protect a marine amphibious force, or to project offensive power against any adversary in well-defended areas. A Horizon 3 solution for the Navy would start with the basic need of these missions, sea control, offensive power projection, sortie generation, the logistic requirements that come with them, and the barriers to their success, like A2AD threats. Lots of people have been talking and writing about this, and lots of Horizon 3 concepts have been proposed, such as distributed lethality, arsenal ships, underwater drone platforms, etc. Focusing on these goals, not building or commanding carriers or building and flying planes, is really, really hard. It's hard to get existing operational organizations to think about disruption because it means they have to be thinking about obsoleting a job, function, or skill they've spent their lives perfecting. It's hard because any large organization is led by people who succeeded as Horizon 1 and 2 managers and operators, not researchers. Their whole focus, career, incentives, etc. has been about building and making the current platforms work, and the Navy has excelled in doing so. The problem is that Horizon 3 solutions take different people, different portfolio, different process, and different politics. People. In Horizon 1 and 2 programs, people who fail don't get promoted because in a known process, failure to execute is a failure of individual performance. However, apply the same rules to Horizon 3 programs, no failures tolerated, means we'll have no learning and no disruptive innovations. What spooks leadership is that in Horizon 3, most of the projects will fail. But using lean innovation, they fail quickly and cheaply. In Horizon 3, the initial program is run by mavericks, the crazy innovators. In the Navy, these are the people you want to court-martial or pass over for promotion for not getting with current program. In a startup, they'd be the founding CEO. These are the fearless innovators who want to create new and potentially disruptive mission models. Failure to support their potential disruptive talent means it will go elsewhere. Portfolio In Horizon 3, the Navy is essentially incubating a startup. And not just one. The Navy needs a portfolio of Horizon 3 bets, for the same reason venture capital and large companies have a portfolio of Horizon 3 bets. Most of these bets will fail, but the ones that succeed are game changers. Process A critical difference between a Horizon 3 bet and a Horizon 1 or 2 bet is that you don't build large, expensive, multi-year programs to test radically new concepts. Think of the Zumwalt class destroyers. You use lean technologies to build minimum viable products, MVPs. MVPs are whatever it takes to get you the most learning in the shortest period of time. 
Horizon 3 groups operate with speed and urgency. The goal is rapid learning. They need to be physically separate from operating divisions in an incubator or their own facility, and they need their own plans, procedures, policies, incentives, and key performance indicators, KPIs, different from those in Horizon 1. The watchwords in Horizon 3 are, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. And politics. In Silicon Valley, most startups fail. That's why we invest in a portfolio of new ideas, not just one. We embrace failure as an integral part of learning. We do so by realizing that in Horizon 3, we are testing hypotheses, a series of unknowns, not executing knowns. Yet, failure in learning is a dirty word in the world of promotions and the gotcha game of politics. To survive in this environment, Horizon 3 leaders must learn how to communicate up and down and sideways that they are not running Horizon 1 and 2 projects. Meanwhile, Navy and DoD leadership has to invest in and clearly communicate their innovation strategy across all three horizons. Failure to manage innovation across all three horizons and failure to make a portfolio of Horizon 3 bets means that the Navy is exposed to disruption by new entrants. Entrants unencumbered by decades of success, fueled by their own version of Manifest Destiny. Lessons Learned Our carriers are a work of art run and manned by professionals. Threats that can degrade or negate a carrier strike group exist in multiple areas. However, carriers are still a significant asset in almost all other combat scenarios. Speed and urgency, rather than institutional inertia, should be the watchwords for Horizon 2 innovation. Horizon 3 innovation is about a clean sheet of paper thinking, and what Silicon Valley calls disruption. It requires different people, portfolio, process, and politics. The Navy and DoD must manage innovation across all three horizons, allocating dollars and resources for each. And remembering that today's Horizon 3 crazy idea is tomorrow's Horizon 1 platform. Thanks to the crew of the USS Vinson and Commander Todd Simicata and Stanford for a real education about the Navy. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. We would like to hear from you, so please send your thoughts to comments at clearshore.us or visit us at clearshore.us. If you would like this show delivered to you automatically, you can subscribe to the Clearshore Podcasts on iTunes. Wishing you all the best until next time.